This is episode number 55 with Jeep Klein, founding partner of Mr. Pink VC. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Sendak, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur. And in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia, with the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies, and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right, beautiful people, welcome to a new episode, a new day. I am excited. I'm pumped for today. Uh, across me on the screen is Jeep Klein. Uh, we've been introduced actually by a few people, but the recent one was uh, David uh, from On Deck Angel. So David, if you're listening, big shout out to you. Um, Jeep has been, had an emor- enormous uh, journey, actually, a very interesting journey. If I just look through her, let's say, first job and what she's doing now. It's, it's just amazing. So just a few highlights I want to I touch upon. Economist at the World Bank. Amazing. Uh, and then you've spent years with, uh, with Intel, actually, with different executive roles. Uh, you're a GP at Trans- Translational Partners, Asia-focused venture fund, uh, professor at uh, University of California, Berkeley High School of Business, teaching everything about venture capital and impact investing. You're the founder of C-Sky Lab where um, it's all about impact economy. And you're also the founding partner at Mr. Pink VC, uh, a Latin American focused impact venture fund and many more. But uh, Jeep, uh, <laughs> I, I thank you so much for joining. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, based on your introduction, I feel like this is why I have gray hair. <laughs> nice to see you. Um, I'm, I'm doing really well, I'm happy, I'm busy. And I know I need to grab you because you have a stellar job. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We were, we were just like quickly touching upon, let's say, our Asian roots. Uh, maybe that's a nice uh, segue to kind of like jump into it. Uh, just tying it back to Sea Sky a bit. What's been now the, let's say, the, because um, in our initial talk, we talked about Latin America, we talked about all the different stuff that you're doing. But now yeah. there's, some, there's some arrows pointing towards Southeast Asia, Thailand. What's, uh, what's going on, uh, Jeep? Oh my gosh, a lot of things. So during COVID, um, I founded an organization, which is Sea Sky Lab, um, aiming to be the bridge between Silicon Valley and, and Southeast Asia, the region I'm from, I'm from Bangkok, Thailand, by the way. So half life in Asia and half life here in the US. And um, I quickly figure out that um, there aren't a lot of us around here, the Southeast mm-hmm. Asian compared to you know, um, other region that's growing really fast in the tech industry. I want to see more people like us, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and so on. So I created this bridge just, you know, to give a talk about what it means to be an entrepreneur, what it, what it means to be a venture capitalist, mm. um, VC 101. If you want, if you're an entrepreneur, want to found a company, want to scale a company, what do you need to know? What do you see thinking about that? What's the difference between the venture capital here versus venture capital in Southeast Asia? Are the difference and not difference? What's the payout? Mm. What's the return? And how you can bring the impact wow. through all of these kind of activities, which is really exciting because technology is moving our economies forward throughout the region and throughout the world. So that's the, you know, in a nutshell of Sky Lab is to link people between the two regions. I want to, be, to bring high, um, um, highly successful or, you know, highly motivated founders in Asia to incubate here. 
And likewise, I want to democratize capital, bringing um, venture fund to fund entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia. That's and that's the catalyst of it. So that's it started amazing. from skills knowledge um, yeah. that I've been accumulated here and gave it for free. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so at the at the core, will C Sky really operate as a traditional VC, or is it like mm-hmm. a, a different angle? No, and today it's still not a VC today. So it is basically I just gave a talk, and and you know during COVID, it was honestly it was hard on everyone. Um, people wanted to learn and connect um, when they were in a lockdown mode at home. Yeah. So um, at that point. Interestingly, Clubhouse was very popular. So yeah. it, it, it's unbelievable that it faded down really, really quickly. Yeah. It's like in less than a year. So I just gave a talk on Clubhouse. And in the first few sessions, there were like, there was one session that was more than 700 people dialed wow. in. Wow. And I was shocked too. I was shocked too. It was like one of the, you know, the first time, uh, the few first time I was on Clubhouse, People die in to listen. They ask great questions. You know, what do people think about Southeast Asia? Mm. Is the countryside too small? Um, consumer behavior different uh, from the U.S. consumer behavior. Yep. Uh, how do they think about the B2B enterprise? Um, who is going to be the next rap? I mean, it goes on and on. Mm. So, um, and that's what I've been doing. Uh, then from then on, a lot of people ask me uh, to be speakers um, from institutions, um, on around impact investing around VC and especially I'm teaching at the high school of business as a yep. lecturer, I'm yep. teaching impact VC class. So it's not enough just to be a VC creating financial returns, but it has to be impact return. It has to be done, especially in emerging markets. And that's yep. what I'm teaching. Um, and so people kind of like the word spread out from then on during COVID. I would love to have a fun. I would love to invest in Southeast Asia more. Uh, and I want to open this up to all the investors in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, and also in Europe, who see the high growth potential uh, of talented uh, founders uh, in different markets. I mean, I already started myself in investing in Latin America. I don't see why we can't do this for our nations in Southeast Asia. I mean, we have a lot of successes Last year, so many IPOs, so many unicorns. Like last year alone was a phenomenal year, and it was a COVID year. True. So this is going to be the next decade is going to be you know a new a new game for us. I love it. I love it, and uh, I uh, totally agree with what you say. I think a lot of, I think in general, when you look at VC, it, of course, it originated kind of like in Silicon Valley, like in, in the West Coast of the U.S., and from there on, kind of like went global maybe you have different views but but i think in that sense southeast asia is definitely lagging a bit right but for sure like why you know there there should be a big spotlight now in southeast asia there's so many homegrown unicorn companies yeah like you said last in the last two years have been like crazy crazy valuations crazy growth has been happening uh so especially in indonesia where you are right yeah yeah it's doing amazingly well yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's phenomenal. But you mentioned a few things which are kind of like interesting to, to, to segue into uh, Clubhouse, super happening. Uh, even from a VC perspective, very happening. From a VC perspective, very happening regarding valuations and fundraising. But then it it kind of like died out 
pretty fast as well, right? So, which brings me to an interesting topic on, you know, uh, on valuations and fundraising. Like, how do you how do you look at that? I mean, from an academic perspective, you you, you teach this stuff, you teach being a VC, uh, but then also operationally, you are also investing. So, so these these things are, are, I mean, valuations are important, right? It's, it's important, but then you also see that the market kind of like can, can turn quite quickly. Like, how do you look at that from a professional standpoint, like this whole roller coaster that Clubhouse went through? Yeah, that's an interesting. So I have to say that the class that I'm teaching is called impact investing class. It's hard impact fund. So the students have to go deal sourcing. So the students, you know, we, the curriculum is okay. They get um, inten intensive um, for four or five classes, learning about how the venture works, what they are looking for. But the important thing is the key concept is about how you use capitalism to incentivize social change. Yeah. Right. Which means that you are looking for in every single investment, you are looking for financial return and impact return mm. before doing the due diligence, right? So in the case of Clubhouse, to me, it's not very clear impact return. Yeah. Impact returns mean what would be the potential social impact or environmental impact, right? Mm. Um, to give you a, uh, an example, um, my fund that is investing in Latin America, um, I, you know, I talk a lot in my past interviews uh, about an tech company um, that was created during COVID and create employment in the, in, in the economy. Now, I'm gonna give you another example that I invested in that I really like, it's a FinTech. Okay, I know that FinTech is really popular in Indonesia and throughout Southeast Asia. So this company basically took NPL, non-performing loan, um, from the bank. You know, they said, look, the bank has to manage NPL, non-performing loan. They couldn't, you know, it's very costly for the institutions to go after individual and try to collect the loans. And sometimes those individuals disappear, they move, um, they change the phone number and whatnot. So they don't have the, they don't get the money back. So the loan recollection is, the cost is really high. Yeah. So this company said, you know, instead of cutting it all as loss, why don't you give a portion to me? I'm gonna use the software. They created the software, okay? Um, basically to be able to follow using phone, follow who are the debtor, um, you know, the, and how to get in touch with them and explain to them that even if you can pay back the loan 100% that you borrow, let's say you pay back 20%, it's actually much better for you to pay back mm. because that's your credit. It's mm. like your credibility. Yeah, your um, score. In, yeah. Your, yeah, but inline America, they there, don't really have yeah, 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 a of standard course. in terms yeah, of, of course. Score. But they were able to convince a lot of people to kind of like pay back a little bit so that they start establishing some credibility with the bank. So if they need something, you know, um, in the future, they can yeah. actually come back in the ecosystem, the banking ecosystem, instead of like going underground and the interest rate is like Sky high. Up high. Yeah. So, um, and they take a cut based upon the amount of the uh, money that they recollected yeah. from the bank. Yeah. So it's a win for the consumer. You know, um, these are the people who usually get trapped that they can't pay back. They don't know, they, they, they don't know, have the information and they also pay back a little bit. The startup makes money. Mm. The bank is happy because the bank doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. So 
ultimately, this company is going to create a credit credit score standard, yep. as you mentioned, yep. right? Like, okay, now you're improving a little bit, you pay back a little bit. So you have a little bit more lending. And so it's kind of like you have to get them out of like the cycle. Yeah. This is another thing. So what is the return? The return is, is clear in terms of financial, right? Yeah. Startups start generating revenue mm. in terms of the cut or com- commission. Impact wise, this is how you get access to the population yeah. who usually don't get any access to the bank or they kind of like fall out of the formal economy. Yeah. You bring them back. You yeah. started to generate employment again because they can do their small businesses, drive taxi and whatnot. Mm. And this is the kind of investment that I like. Yeah. Um, using technology to improve life while generating financial return. Because my LP also wants to wants yeah. financial return. This is not a nonprofit. Exactly. Yeah, I, I love that because at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, a question I've been thinking a lot about is kind of like what type of technology would, you know, would have that financial return, but at the same time has the potential to elevate a nation, yeah. right? And I think this yeah. type of investments is, is amazing, is really amazing from a, from a VC perspective. Okay, so you say before you do any due diligence, you would have to have a clear overview of the of the impact, right? The impact return, let's say, apart from the financial return. But if you say the impact return, what would like? How would that look like? Is that is that a story that you tell? Is that is that an impact return still based on some type of waterfall model? Like, or is there some big Excel model behind that? Like, how would that how would that look like? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. So the KPI, the way that we look at um, the criteria in terms of the impact depends on each company that you invest in because each company that come from different sectors, different verticals, different business model. So when we do the due diligence, we ask the entrepreneur, we ask the founder, how do you measure the impact, hmm. right? Um, is it increasing employment? Is it mobilizing the capital to the underserved and overlooked population like yeah. women, right? Hmm. Um, is it about creating education um, for the subgroup of population that couldn't traditionally go to school or yeah. become a developers, right? Mm. Using mm. EdTech platform. Mm. I mean, you name it, right? Employment, underserved population, overlooked population. Um, uh, so in some cases, it could be climate impact, you know, food yeah. tech, right? Yeah. What is the amount of um, expected CO2 that you would, you know, reduce? Things like that, but, but the founders have to tell us because yeah. it's their company. Yeah. And then sometimes VC help, like, okay, why don't you also look at this? Yeah. This is also the area that you can work on, mm. right? Mm. Yeah. Um, all of these things that come together, but you know, the KPI basically is different based upon the kind of the company yeah. and the vertical you're investing yeah. in. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And when you look at, uh, so I actually want to like deep dive into like two. You 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 want to take my class? I can tell. I just wanted to say like there's like because I think that's such an interesting profile, right? Just from an academic perspective, mm-hmm. you teach, mm-hmm. let's say, what the what the books say. There's a lot of theory there, of course, but at the same time, you you operate, right? You you actually do it. And sometimes, sometimes, the theory and the and the actual reality could be aligned, but could also be a bit. It could be a gap between theory and reality. I don't know. Uh, so, so just coming back to, to the teaching, because I know the teaching part and the academic part is, is a big chunk, of course, where you spend your time as well. Uh, so maybe we can deep dive a bit about on that. So, so now you teach uh, venture capital 
and specifically impact investing, right? That's right. It's an impact VC class. Uh huh. Okay. And 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 uh, like what's kind of like the well, not the whole curriculum, but what's kind of like the, the red line of, of of what you teach? Like, is there any any synopsis that you can you can you can treat us with? Yeah, um, I would like to reiterate uh, what I said a little bit before that the concept of impact investing is about how do you use capital, okay, to mobilize the social change. Wow. So capitalism can definitely incentivize the change that you want to make. Hmm. And this is relatively, um, it's, not an, it's not a new concept, per, new concept per se, but relatively new practice that we call impact investing. Hmm. If you look in the history, right? Um, we have corporate social responsibility. Yeah. We have nonprofit organizations that try to tackle some sort of like social problem or climate problem in one way or another. Honestly, it has not proven to be super effective. Mm, yeah. A lot of people start to question um, nonprofit business model, right? Yeah. Um, even CSR, corporate social responsibility. Mm. Now we are in a place where um, ESG, environment, social, and governance is key. Yeah. And there is also pressure in the society from limited partners, um, from the board of directors, from foundation donors, and a lot of people who have the power because they either donate or either on the board or they fund your company and whatnot to use capital in the right way. Mm. And I think that in the last five years alone, social development goals, SDG, that is created by United Nations, you know, including the ESG, and I know it's a lot of acronyms, sorry, um, you know, <laughs> environment, social, yeah. you know, and governance is, the, is something that every single company, whether it's public or private, has to be baked into their agenda. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why impact investing kind of like started to grow really rapidly. Linking back to our region, it has to be done, Andrew. Yeah. So I'm kind of like going, you know, off track, kind of like tangential to what you were, you know, asking. Yeah. It has to be done because our, in our region, income inequality is so high. Yeah. The rich is super rich. Mm. The poor is really poor. Mm. And the gap was widened in the last 10 years. If you look yeah. at the data, I can tell you like in Thailand where it came from. In the last 10 years alone, the in, in inequality was much, much bigger than when I grew up in the country 40, 30 years ago. Yeah. And it has to change because it's not, the society is not sustainable. Um, and I view technology investment is a vehicle for economic development. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just going to pause here. I know that that was a lot. <laughs> Linking back to our reading. Well, I told all well, you asked a lot about the curriculum and the class. That, so that's I kind it. of like throw a lot of you. So. Yeah, no, I, 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 lo <laughs> I love that. But I just, at the end of the day, I think capital is, is just capital. But if capital can really uh, be in a catalyst for social change, I think that's when capital is being utilized in the proper way, right? So I think that is, that is just beautiful. Looking at from a, um, okay, so, so we, got the, we got the impact investing side. I'm thinking more on, on funds, right? So uh, uh -huh. let's say there's an, there's an, because I think also like within your, within your journey, I think impact investing is kind of like also a red line that I see, which is, which is beautiful. Uh, but then from an LP perspective, right? Because 
like you said, I mean, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, and in last couple of years has been has been booming. There's there's like you know homegrown unicorn companies, mm-hmm. a lot of them. Um, and when there's unicorn companies, there's billion dollar valuations. There's like massive funding rounds, and you see these valuations like getting bigger and bigger. And you see these LPs like counting their money at least on paper, and then you know trying trying to see where their exits are. And, and, you know, investors are investors and would, they would also like look, they will always look for that, you know, 1000x return type of deals. But then linking that back to social impact, linking that back to like using capital to, to push social change. Does that always go hand in hand with a, you know, an LP that says like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to write you a $10 million ticket, but you know, just make sure that in three years from now, I want to have like, you know, hundred X at least uh, back of my investment. Cause that, to be honest, like, you know, a lot of the LPs are, they think like that. Right. So just trying to understand a bit like the, the type of LPs that would fit with like impact funds. How, how does that work? So first of all, if an LP tells you that the expected return is a hundred X or a thousand X, it is not realistic. Okay, let me just say that. Okay, we have to have a long conversation on that. So that is just like talking about the pure financial return. Yeah. Um, now, your your key question is actually about is there a trade off, right, mm. between financial returns and impact returns? Now, mm. which is an interesting question. I want to step back a little bit in terms of being a fund manager. When a fund manager or a GP uh, founded a fund. They have to have a thesis in a fund, yeah. right? Like yeah. which sector you want you what are you going to advocate for? What do you see coming in the future? You know, I mean, verticals, geography, I mean, go on and on, the fund size and, and, and whatnot. So it has to be clear from day one, why do you do this fund? Yeah. And what is the concept of the fund? Yeah. So when you go pitch to the LP, you clearly stated that okay, here is the expected return in terms of the financial returns, right? Um, And here is the expected return in terms of the impact because these are the kind of investment you would like to do. And I think that would help the LP understand if they they wanna look at 100X or 1000X return, obviously this is not, you know, they might not find any. If they find some, that might not be true. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) So they have to, you have to honestly select the right LP. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and this is why the overall global trend is important. Hmm. Because of the, again, the ESG trend. A lot of people realize that we, you know, collectively, we have to solve the climate change problem. It's not like one person with a lot, the largest amount of money can solve this problem. Yeah. It is, you know, partially public goods, partially private goods, that yeah. it has to be everybody. Yeah. Um, and everybody means, you know, you can do it through the venture fund that really focus on climate. You can do it through impact fund that also focus on climate. You can also do nonprofit too. It's not like you do yeah. venture fund and you can yeah. do nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it's basically coming back to the thesis and explaining very clearly to the LP that for me, it's an add-on benefit. I like to, to tell the LP that, Financial returns are necessary, but not sufficient. The sufficient condition is the impact return. And this is my economic you know, language, yeah. which is you have to have both to move the society forward, especially if you want to invest in emerging markets. Yeah. 
yeah, moving the society forward. I think that's a, that's a good one, right? Because that's almost an idealistic uh, value, which which I totally am. I agree with. Uh, but then the question, I think what you mentioned is, I think, crucial, like finding the right LPs that fit this this thesis, because I think there's there's also, of course, a lot of LPs that say, like, I don't really care. Just give me yeah. 100, 100x and we're still good friends. Right. So how does that how does that go? Like, what would be is there any red line if you look at, let's say, the characteristics of LPs that fit this type of investment thesis or like, how does that how does that go? How does that? You know, it's interesting if I say to the very so, so let's let's say an LP wanted to invest in a venture fund. And I say, okay, this is the expected return of my venture fund financially, which is the same as the other fund, mm. right? The same mm. size, mm. you know, they might invest in different geography. By the way, the expected return financially is the same, mm. but I have impact returns as well. Yeah. You get to invest in super talented women entrepreneurs. You get to create employment. Mm. You get to reduce carbon emission. Yeah. Would you invest in my fund? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So sometimes you kind of have to parse that. Um, actually, the key challenge is around, you know, um, talking about the measurement of the impact. Yeah. Because again, as you mentioned, different companies measure differently. How long are we gonna we gonna you know measure it, um, keep track on it and make sure that the startup uh, deliver the promise that they promised when yeah. they receive funding from us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is always sometimes a challenge, right? Uh, Even the financial uh, side, right? Yeah. Let alone the impact side. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you sign that term sheet and you see that valuation and maybe you see that liquidity preference here and there and it's like, okay, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of obligations I have right now, right? A lot of, a lot of, a lot of diligence in, in my actions. <laughs> no, but, but, but I, I love that. And, and what is what do you think has been kind of like your driver for for the the social change type of direction within within your career? Oh my God, Andrew, you are fantastic. Yeah. So um, this is kind of like coming backward, which I should have done, which is you know I did introduce myself. Um, I I came from Bangkok, Thailand, and my dad uh, graduated only fourth grade. Wow. He cannot speak English. Um, he's a uh, you know, self-made man, he, he's, not a, he's not rich by any means, but he never made me feel poor. Wow. And I think that's the important wow. thing. Like growing up, you know, we have food, on, we don't have lots of things, but we have food on the table, right? Um, and he spent the majority of his money and assets on my education. Wow. I had the best education from the country. Um, I went to, you know, some of the best universities that, my father can put afford. So, and, and you know, throughout that kind of journey, we had a lot of fails mm. in the family. Mm. Asian economic crisis oh, in man. 1997. Yeah. And my dad built his wealth, not a lot of wealth, but through, um, by becoming, you know, the constructor person. Like he constructs houses and buildings. And so he grew um, with the real estate business. And 1997 crisis hit real estate business first and hit in and it hit in Thailand first before mm. spreading out throughout Asia. Mm -hmm. So he lost everything he had. Wow. And so for us, it was hard mm. the way that we see him. And I think that was the first wake up call moment. Um, I was about to go to college. I couldn't go to international college. You know, I, I went to 
local Thai college and it was fine. It was like the best experience. And so for me, at that point in time, it was kind of, I call um, semi-baked. And I looked at the world like, wow, this is actually beautiful. Now, you know, my dad, my dad lost his friend. Um, I, I turned myself, you know, instead of studying um, to become an engineer, I studied economics wow. because of financial crisis. Yeah. After that, you know, I, I thought, wow, this is so interesting. I could do more. Like Econ 101, the supply and demand. Yeah. It's just, my heart was shaking. Mm. I was so excited too. But like, how could I not know this before? Mm. Mm. I know it sounds, it sounds strange. Mm. So I, I figure out how to come to this country for graduate school, borrow a little bit of money from my cousin for plane tickets, you know, putting application together, came over and got scholarship. Um, at the University of Michigan. Wow. And it was master's program, not a PhD, which is really hard to get a scholarship. So after that, and as you mentioned, I went to the World Bank. Nobody wanted to hire me. I didn't have a PhD. Um, and definitely I didn't go to an Ivy League school. So I pitched myself to more than 40 economists. I cold call, I cold email, I saved my stipend from the scholarship that I had to fly myself from Michigan to Washington, D.C. every single break to pitch myself, whoever want to meet with me. And I got a lot of rejection. I, I kind of joke with David, who introduced me to you, that, oh, I had 49 rejections. Actually, I didn't count. It was so many. <laughs> I, I, I told him 49. I mean, it was like so much like I, I couldn't count, right? Wow. But it's a lot. And then one person said, yes. Why didn't you come work for me in the summer? Three months only. You know, Andrew? The rest is the history. Wow. I got to learn from the best in the mm. world mm. at that point in time. Wow. And I thought I would never leave. Three years in, I traveled to Africa. You know, I showed mysteries of finance in emerging markets, including Africa. And I went to Tanzania and started to see that people use candle at five because they didn't have electricity, mm. but they have feature phone, like phone with buttons. I mean, yeah. our generation. I mean, at that point in time, almost 20 years ago, yeah. they did payment through phone mm. using password, passcode. And I was like, that was before PayPal being, becoming famous. It's, technology is going to be big. Mm. I quit the World Bank. I came to Silicon Valley. That was about 15, 13, 15 years ago. Wow. Got my MBA at Haas. So lucky to get recruited by Intel. It was, you know, the management program that I got trained by the C-level executive, the VP, who were trained by Andy Grove. Uh, it was a hard experience, I have to say. You know, you have to be able to hit the ground and run in that company. It was the best. Um, so I created, I helped pioneer um, low-cost ta uh, tablet business, targeting emerging markets, used for education. And it was, to me, an impact device. At the World Bank, it was also an impact organization. Mm. Creating an impact device at Intel. Had the opportunity to come to the VC, you know, enjoying my time at Skydeck, UC Berkeley, uh, when Dean Shankar Sastry and um, Dean Rich Lyon founded the organization. Um, they said, why don't you come and mentor a lot of um, CEOs because this is what we need. Um, become an advisor. 
Mm. And I helped the program until today, I'm still engaged and until I found my own venture fund. So it's a wild ride. And this is why I'm I'm talking to you because we got to do something together for Southeast Asia, right? Definitely, definitely. I love it. I love it, Jeep. I mean, uh, this is, uh, it's, it's so funny, right? I think looking back, sometimes it's, you can actually only connect the dots when you look back, right? And, and I think That's right. just listening to your journey, it, it makes sense. It, it all yeah, makes it, sense. It's an impact journey. So I, yeah. I kind of told people like, you know, my career theme, I kind of moved from industry yeah. to industry, which, you know, a lot of people didn't do, yeah. um, but I did it. But I actually remain on the same theme, mm. which is global impact. Yeah. I always have the global um, and emerging markets in my mind in every single job that I do. Yeah, I love that. So, I love anyways. that. I love that. I love that. Okay, Jeep, uh, I have a, a final question uh, for you, uh, which I love to hear your answer. Uh, we, we imagine a day far, far away into the future. And um, on that day, there's uh, only one search engine available. And I, and I type in the name uh, Jeep Klein. Uh, and there's no digital footprint at all. There's no track record on LinkedIn. There's no highlights of funds that you've launched. The only thing I can see are three bullet points. And these three bullet points, they represent the life lessons of Jeep client. What would those three bullet points be? Global impact. People first. Technology is a long game. I love that. I love that. Very, very good summary. Very good summary. I think it really just uh, encompasses what you do right now. And uh, I want to salute you for... Uh, for what you're doing, I think it's just amazing that, uh, that you really combine the academic part, like really teaching and planting the seeds of, of I think, impact as well with, with venture investing into the minds of, of, of you know, professionals and students. And Uh, I'm super inspired by what you do and, and your journey uh, within within impact, you know, and coming from Southeast Asia, going to going to US and now really having a heart for for the region is, I think, just uh, just amazing. So uh, I salute you for that. Uh, and again, I want to thank you so much for for making time in your precious, precious full agenda with your family, and your daughter. There's a lot of there's a lot of wants and demands uh, for your name and time. So I appreciate you for for just uh, reserving a bit of time together. Uh, so I thank, thank you again. You. No, you too. I mean, you have family too and you have, you know, stellar role. Come on. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to subscribe over on Apple or Spotify. And I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and review and let me know what your biggest takeaway is this episode. Thanks again, and I hope to see you in the next one.